I wanted to tell you that this passage today is about the great flip. It's about the great flip. Now remember last week, Paul talked about those things that he profited, he counted as loss. And the things he lost, he now counts as profit because there was a great flip in his life. There was a transformation that took place in his life. He moved from a relationship of rules and regulations and under the law, 613 ceremonial laws, and he was the law keeper of law keepers. What happened to Paul is what can happen to us. We can move from a relationship of living under rules and laws and do's and don'ts to a relationship of love, where love is the motivation. Love is the great flip. I don't know if you've ever been to Galveston and got caught in the waves. Well, let's just say this. Have you ever been to Cancun, where the bigger waves are there? And have you ever been caught in a wave and thought you were swimming to the top, but actually you were going uh, to the bottom? That's happened to me before. It's happened to me several times with a mask on and uh, a snorkel and everything, the fins, the duct tape to keep this on back here and the duct tape here. And I got confused and I thought I was swimming to the top and I was actually going deeper and the wave flipped me up on the shore. Here's the point. I told the Lord I'd be a land brethren from then on. My land gifts are all I need. I don't need anything in the water, Lord. If you get me out of this, I promise you I'll never get in the water again. I haven't. Here's the point. There must be a transformation in your life. Sometimes you get upside down. And sometimes we get upside down in our theology. We think that our works is what gets us to heaven. And so we get upside down. But Paul last week talked about taking us from being upside down and he flipped us up on the shore right side up because we count all things as a loss for the sake of Christ. That's where we ended in verse 7. So we'll start in verse 8 here and look at what the text says. Here's what Paul says. We're just continuing the flow of the text. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him. Here's the purpose of this, that I may know him. That means experientially and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attend to the resurrection of the dead. So here's what Paul says. There was a great flip that took place in his life. I heard a story about a gentleman who was a great violin player, and he was in a a concert and he was playing and he did a really great job and as soon as he finished he walked off the stage and 2,000 people stood up and they began to applaud him for his performance so everybody clapped and he began to walk off to the side and the stagehand noticed that he was crying and he wasn't happy at all about his performance and the stagehand said to him how is it that 2,000 people can stand and you be dejected or rejected over off the side he said because the man over there in the middle is my father He's also my violin teacher. And if he doesn't stand, it doesn't matter if 2,000 people stand and applaud or not. Now listen carefully. 2,000 people were applauding. The Judaizers were applauding. Oh, Paul, you're the law keeper of all law keepers. They were standing and giving him an ovation about the laws that he had kept. And Paul said, you know what? Jesus is still sitting down. 
He disapproves of that because it's only his righteousness. He's the only one that has achieved the good works. So I can't have Jesus sitting there and me standing up. I need to have Jesus standing up and I need to sit and bow before him in all of what he's done. That's what Paul's saying here in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 8, look at what he says. Yet indeed, I count all things lost. The word for count means to make a priority in counting. In other words, Paul knew how to count laws. He had 613 laws. He could keep them all. He understood the priority of counting a relationship of law, but he now counts everything of a relationship of law now of grace. And so he puts a priority. The word count means to count, to put a priority on all things are lost. That's what he says. I now make a priority to count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss. Notice what he says, of all things, not, not just count loss, but I count everything a loss. I put it all in this column over here. So what Paul is talking about is I have to learn to let go of everything that I held on to. So when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you let go of all of your attempts to try to make yourself righteous before God. You let go of all your good works that you were holding your hat to to make you get into heaven, and you release those, you let go of those. Here's the problem. You can't walk by faith knowing God, trusting in the righteousness of Jesus, and still hold on to the law. It's not holding on to the law and holding on to grace at the same time. It's embracing the grace of God, and when you let go of what God has let go of in your past, and you hold on to that which God has held on to, which is you, you begin to see the life of Christ begin to be manifest in your life. You can't do both at the same time. You can't hold on to this and try to attain this. So Paul talks about, he counts all things as loss. Some of you are holding on to a relationship that God wants to die. Some of you are going to marry the wrong person because you think if you hold on to this person, this person is going to bring you satisfaction and fulfillment. Let me back this train up a little further. If you date the wrong person and you hold on to the wrong person and you live for the flesh to satisfy your flesh, don't tell me you're in love when you're really in lust. See, a lot of people say, oh, I'm power. I, I, won't, I, I can put myself in a compromising position because my flesh is not really that strong. Oh, yeah, your flesh is and flesh dies hard. Some of you are holding on to things and you're counting this a priority. You're holding on to a relationship that God wants to die. Think about some area of your life in the past that you, you need to let go of and embrace what God is holding on to, and that's you. You need to let go of some situation today and embrace the grace of God in your life so you can count all things as loss. You can't hold on to two at the same time. So let go of what God has already let go of in your life. Let go of the relationship, let it die. There's no resurrection power until there's a death. That's what Paul's gonna tell us. Some of you need to let some things go and let them die. Let some relationships go. They're hindering your walk with Christ. They're hindering you from knowing who Jesus is fully. Count it lost as all things. We need to come to a position today where we embrace Jesus and we count all things as lost for the excellency and the power and surpassing greatness of knowing him. 
We don't hold on to anything. We let go of everything and embrace a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Him is fulfillment. In Him is all the fullness. Not in a dating relationship or in a marriage. Listen, your mate is not supposed to make you happy and fulfill you. Jesus does that. Now, if you want to embrace your mate, embrace Christ and then let Christ in you embrace your mate. Because you can't love your mate apart from Christ. So Paul's telling us, listen, count everything as loss. Lay it all down at the altar today of your heart and say, God, I have nothing. I embrace you. That's what Paul's saying. I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge, experiential knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's not a Lord. He's my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss. Look at the text of all things. So when you begin to walk by faith, when you begin to embrace a relationship, when you begin to understand the great flip in your life, that Jesus is now on the throne of your life, and you're not at the controls anymore, then you suffer the loss of all things. So knowing Christ is not without pain. We want to enjoy the journey without the price of paying that deals with pain. We have to deal with pain in our life. That's what Paul says. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And here's what he does. Now he makes a priority again. He says, I count them as rubbish. Do you know what the word rubbish is? It's the word dung. Do you know what the word dung means? I'm going to let some of you, you're going to be able to say it after today. It's called poo. Now listen. When you step in dog mess, you carry that smell everywhere. When you count all things as rubbish, Paul's saying, hey, not only the law in my relationship with the law, but all good things, everything that everybody said that I was good, that I was the law keeper of all law keepers, I count them as rubbish. So when you step in dog mess, here's what you find out about that. When you step in it and you go from your yard into your car, guess what? You'll begin to go, you know, I smell something. Huh. And you'll begin to think, listen, I'll just roll the windows down. You smell something. You go into your bedroom and you'll take the same smell that was in your car into your bedroom. And you'll be tracking it in your house. The only way to get rid of shoes that are rubbish is to throw them away. I tried to power wash some one time, seriously, and I still couldn't get it all off. So what you do and what Paul is telling us to do, listen to me. All of my self-efforts to make myself okay with God by saying, I'm going to try hard. I'm really going to help people today. I'm going to be a whole lot nicer at work, Lord. I'm going to, this, this older lady needs help across the street. I'm going to help her. Here's what God says. I count those, Paul says, I count that as dung. I count that as rubbish. Nothing that I bring to the table makes any difference whatsoever. So Jesus is the one that makes me right with God and he keeps me right with God. And he doesn't, I can't bring any righteousness of my own to the table. Throw the shoes away. Get rid of them. Start a brand new life in him. I count everything. I'm telling you this morning, I count everything in my life as rubbish for the fact that I can know him and the fellowship of his suffering. I don't have to hold on to anything in my life and you don't have to hold on to anything in your life. We release it, let it go and say, God, do whatever you want in my life. Some of you need to let go of a relationship. Some of you need to let go of something else today. Some of you are saying, I, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to lust. Can I tell you something? Your own righteousness cannot help you in that. 
Your own strength cannot help you to overcome. You have to have a power that's greater than you. You have to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And that resurrection life that He gives to you as a gift now can overcome those things. Because you don't have the power to overcome sin. Jesus does. He's my Lord, Paul says. So I have learned to shift all of my attention from myself to my Savior. Are you interested in yourself? If somebody doesn't say, thank you. One person is listening. God bless you. Listen, some of you will be disappointed today if somebody doesn't say the right word to you because you're so needy. You so need affirmation. You so need love. You so have to have that word because that word is what props you up for the rest of the day. And then when you go to bed tonight, you get depressed. Let me tell you something. The only word that you need and affirmation that you need is that God loves you. God has a plan for you. God is working in your life and you can suffer all things as a loss to knowing Him and you can count everything that you bring to the table as rubbish and you can lay your head on the pillow tonight and say it's not about me it's about him it's about him this church does not stand because the staff stands this church did not stand for 53 years because John Morgan stood here and he was faithful this church stands because of the one who stands and in Jesus Christ I may not understand everything about counting it lost but I do understand and stand on this that I can know him personally and I don't have to play religious games. So, thank you very much. I'll keep preaching. Now, look at the text. Who I suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, throw the shoes away, throw the past away. Look at the text. That I may gain Christ. Okay, let's look at that phrase. That I may gain Christ. Now listen, that does not mean that you get more and more and more and more and more of Christ. When you get saved, if you trust Christ as your Savior, you're going to get all of Christ that you ever need in that moment because He's going to deposit His life in the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So you have gained Christ because He has achieved all righteousness and He has forgiven you of your sin and you've gained Him. Now when the text says to gain Him here, He's talking about the more that we walk in the Spirit of God, walking by faith and trusting in the life of Christ, the more we experientially know Christ, the more that we gain in Christ, because the more we experientially know Him, the more that we grow in Him. I have all of Christ that I'm ever going to get positionally, but practically when I begin to know Christ and count all things as lost, I begin to experience more of the gain that is already mine as a gift. He's given me everything. You say, do you want the second blessing? No, because I'm enjoying the first one and that's all I need. That's salvation. That's what Paul's saying. Look at the text here. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm found in him. The idea of the word found is a legal term. There's nothing that stands against me now because my righteousness is in him. So I've been found in him. I'm hidden in him. Do you remember playing hide-and-seek when you were little? Do you remember how it had to go find a spot? It went over to the pole, and it counted 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 35. Ready or not, here I come. And it, it went all over to try to find you. And the way to win the game, if it found you, you had to beat it back to the post. 
Or if you stayed hidden long enough, here's what it would do. It would give up looking for you. I got news for you. I've been found in Christ. I'm hidden in him. When the devil says, ready or not, here I come, guess what? Doesn't bother me a bit. You know why? Because I'm hidden in Christ. Where I used to be hidden in bitterness and, and deceit and pain, I'm now hiding in joy and peace and fruitfulness and the relationship that I have in Jesus Christ. So the devil, when he used to find me, I was hidden in myself and in my own righteousness and in my own ways. But now that I'm found in him, when it comes to look for me, guess what? It doesn't find me because I'm hidden in the arms of Jesus Christ. I am found in him. And the reason I am found in him is he initiated salvation in my life. God the Father touched my heart. God the Father changed me. He drew me unto himself. And when he initiated salvation, all I did by faith was respond to him. You say, am I found in Christ or is he found in me? The answer is yes. It's yes. It's a relationship. I responded by grace through faith. He initiated salvation. So I'm found in him. What Paul is talking about is when you have the strong rope of salvation in your life and you're holding on to Jesus, you're also hidden in Jesus. And so the more that you're hidden in Jesus, the more that you rest in his word and rest in his grace and rest in his truth and rest in his power, the more you let go of relationships that are damaging and are a detriment to your walk with Christ, the more of Christ that you will gain and the more that you'll understand the position of being hidden in Christ. It doesn't mean that the devil's not going to throw all his arsenal at you, but it does mean this. When the devil throws his arsenal at me, it's not me that he wants. He's trying to get Jesus, and Jesus has already conquered death, hell, and the grave and defeated the enemy. So therefore, when the enemy comes after me, I don't fight. God fights my battles for me. I'm hidden in him. As an 18-year-old boy, teenager, I was filled with sin. I was filled with lust. I was filled with greed. I was filled with myself. And at a camp on a Thursday night, I had to let go at age 18 of some things that were keeping me from knowing Christ personally, being hidden in him. What are you willing to let go of today? What are you willing to let go of? You say, guess what? Hey, I struggle with lust or I struggle with alcohol or I struggle with pornography. Guess what? You are powerless. The reason you struggle with those things is God's trying to get you to a submission to himself and to understand the righteousness that you have in him so that you can be found in him so that when you yield to him, he overcomes those things. In fact, those things need to die. They need to go to the grave so you can experience resurrection life in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. So he says, I'm not found in a righteousness. Look at verse 9. I'm, not found, I'm found in him. I'm, I'm found in him. I want to tell you today, this is, this is in all humility and grace. I am found in him in this moment. As I'm teaching in this moment, this is not me, it's him. I am found in him. There's no pressure on me. Someone says, what, what, what kind of pressure do you have? I have no pressure whatsoever. I don't live under pressure. I want to live my life under submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm found in him, not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that's found through faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. Let me tell you how you can know whether you're operating in Christ's righteousness or your good works. When you do something wrong, do you try to make up for your mistake and your sin? If you're not trusting Jesus 
for you, His righteousness working in your life. If when you sin and you say, oh man, I really blew it, I really messed up. And if you repent and you come clean with God and then you try to work yourself back in favor, you're not working with the righteousness that comes from Him. His righteousness doesn't make you make up for your sin. His righteousness says, I paid for your sin once and for all. Now submit to me and never do it again. See, if you're trying to make up for lost time because you've made a lot of mistakes, that's your own righteousness. You're trying to tell yourself that you can make it yourself and you can really pull yourself up and make this thing happen. That is trusting in you, not God. Let's flip the switch. Let's say when you do something really good, do you pat yourself on the back? Oh, man, I tell you what, that was good. I tell you, that was, I didn't even, that's really good. And then here's what some of you do that are really needy. Listen carefully. You want others to pat you on the back. Now listen to me. If you need a pat on the back to make you okay with God, then you're not trusting in the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You're trusting in the righteousness that comes from yourself. And you're hoping other people will give it to you. Do you see what Paul's saying here? I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law pat me on the back, make a mistake, whatever. I want to be found in a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God by faith. So as I walk by faith and say no to my flesh and my flesh dies hard and your flesh dies hard. But when I say yes to Christ and I say no to my flesh, then Christ's righteousness begins to work in my life. And Paul is saying here that the righteousness that's been given to Paul as a gift is positional righteousness, but practical righteousness is when God begins to work through us when we say no to the flesh and yes to him. So let me tell you how you can practically make that happen. When you speak to someone when you leave today, is it going to be you that speaks to them or are you going to let Jesus speak to them? Do you know there's some needs that are going to take place out in this lobby area as you leave today and some of you are going to be totally unaware of ministry opportunities because you're thinking about what's in it for me. How can I help me? Get your eyes off yourself. Paul says, I've been found in him. God's given me a vision not to see my own righteousness, but to see his righteousness through faith. That's what he's saying here. Now, look at the text, verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. Here's what he says. That I may know him. That I may know him means to experientially know him. That I may know him means to see the donut, I may have said this, see the donut coming off the conveyor belt at Krispy Kreme. But if the sign's not flashing, I don't want to I don't want to experience a donut. I don't want to go get a donut that's going to be put on the shelf in a box. I want it when it comes off the conveyor belt because I want to move from knowing about the donut to experiencing the donut, right? So that's what Paul's saying. When you, when you and I live in his righteousness, when we're trusting totally by faith in his righteousness to give us the power to say no to the flesh and yes to Jesus, then what happens is we begin to experientially know Christ. This is your testimony. This is what you can share with someone about the gospel. What has the gospel done for you and done with you? That I may know him. Now notice the text. And the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. If you talk to somebody and ask them what Christianity is, they will tell you, most people will say this, well, Jesus died for my sins, and he forgave me of my sins, and I'm no longer going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven. And that would be right. But listen, 
If you stop there, you've left out the other half of the gospel. Here's the other half of the gospel. The other half is that he gives you his very life and the power of his resurrection. It's his life in you. That's the power. The word power means the inherent ability, the ability to do that's inherent in a relationship with him. So you now have this power. So some of you understand you're powerless to stop certain things in your life. Some of you in this room are trying to forgive someone for the hurt that they've caused you. Can I tell you something? You're powerless. You need to let it die. And when you let it die, you can have resurrection from the grave. But until you render yourself powerless and tell yourself you cannot do this, and by the way, nowhere in Scripture does it say to forgive yourself. It tells you to forgive somebody else. God has to give you the ability and the power to release them. God does that supernaturally when you begin to know Him. But it says to know Him in the power of His resurrection. So here's what people leave out about the Christian life. The word resurrection means life. Jesus Christ raised me from deadness unto life. So He rendered me powerless in order that He would put power inside of me. So when I yield to Him that I may know Him, it's the power of His resurrected life. So that's what we talk about. Salvation is Christ in you. All power is inside of you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have no excuse for not loving your wife the way Christ loved the church man. And woman, you have no reason to not submit to your husband as Christ told you to submit if you're living in the power of Jesus. Now listen carefully. If you live for your flesh, a man will demand submission. I'm the head of the home. Baloney. Bull. I said it, bull. The word head means the one who comes under by submitting. Jesus is the head of the church, but the way that Jesus died for me and died for you, he came under to serve us so that we could experience resurrection power. He's not over us, pounding his life into us. He releases his life into us as we submit, and he's the one that submitted servanthood first. He's the one that donned the towel. So you and I in our life, when we want to know him, the text says, and the power of his resurrection, Jesus raises dead people into life. Think about this. The world can't touch the life of Jesus in me. They could kill Jesus' body, and they did in his humanity, but you can't kill Jesus Christ. He's eternal. So the world can't touch Jesus. When he resurrected from the grave, the world couldn't touch him anymore. Watch this. The world can do whatever it wants to my body. You can kill me. They can kill my body, but you can't kill the Jesus inside of me because he's spirit and he's eternal and he's all power and he lives in me. Can't do it. Can't happen. Jesus Christ. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That's all I want in my life. I just want to know Christ. How do I know Christ? Read his word, study, pray, begin to dive into a deeper relationship, and then let him release his power out of my life. Oh, Jesus, thank you that this message is not dependent on me. It's dependent on his power. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Have you ever been where you've seen a train going? I saw this in Alaska. We were on this train and it was steaming ahead, and it was beautiful. It was all glass all around. And all of a sudden, this train is steaming ahead, and I'm kind of explaining the power of the resurrection that lives inside of us. So you get this train that's steaming ahead with all power, um, and it's moving fast. And all of a sudden, there's a tunnel coming. There's a tunnel. So this 
train is going to disappear into the tunnel. I just happen to be in the train that's disappearing in the tunnel. So if I wasn't inside the train, I would be on the mountaintop going, oh, the train just went into the tunnel. And I would kind of move like this because I know the train and the steam and the engine is going to move that um, train all the way through that tunnel and it's going to come out on the other side. Listen to me carefully. That's the life of Jesus Christ in us. When we can't see the train, when we can't see the steam, when we don't feel like God's moving forward in resurrection power in our life, He actually is. And all the turmoil that we face, all the pain, that we face, all the disappointment, God says, I'm moving you along because my life is in you. And I've got more power than you've got to overcome anything in your life, Freeman. That's what he's saying, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Notice this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. The power of his resurrection is the fullness of his life. The fellowship of his sufferings is when I partake of his suffering his pain. How do you do that? Well, the text says it right here. Being conformed to his death. That's how Paul said. Being conformed to his death means we're continually in this life being conformed to his death. How are we conformed to his death? Well, think about Jesus's attitude when he went into the garden. When he was just a few moments from dying, a few days from dying, he grabbed some guys with him. And he said, guys, come with me. Even the guy that he just blessed in the room, in the upper room, Judas, who had betrayed him. Jesus blessed the person who betrayed him. And then all of us have to deal with betrayal in our journey. If we're going to be conformed to the death of Christ, guess what? You're going to have to deal with people who betray you. But we don't have to be bitter toward the people that betray us, do we? No, because God wants to give them forgiveness just like he's given me forgiveness and just like he forgave uh, Judas who betrayed him. He still wants to bless people through us. Why? Because the life of Christ is always moving like a train of steam and it's coming through the tunnel. And even if I want to wallow in my bitterness for a while, I have to understand that the person who betrayed my heart still needs forgiveness and I need forgiveness from the event. So we all need to go to the same well. We all need to experience the resurrection power of Christ. That's being conformed to his death. Jesus took three guys when he was being conformed to the death. He was facing death. The cup was before him. The cup was the anguish of pain. Jesus brought with him three friends. And then when he brought the three friends into the garden, he left the three friends in the garden and went to be by himself because he was in submission to his father. Because what we have to understand is that Jesus Christ was God, and God was God. So Jesus Christ left the three friends in disappointment. They were in disappointment and sleeping over here. But he did not need them to move forward with obedience to the cross. They were secondary support, not primary. Listen carefully. Some of you, the reason you're not conformed to his death is you're taking people into your garden of pain that don't want to be there. Some of you are taking people into the garden of pain and you're telling, watch with me, stay with me. And you know what? You're thinking they're going to give you the support you need. Let me tell you what you need to do. Thank God for the people that will go into the garden of pain with you. But watch this. Leave those people 
to go get alone with the Father so you can be conformed to his death, so that you can make sure that you're doing what God has told you to do. Release yourself from them and get in touch with him. And the best thing you can do is move from all the noise and the voices that you hear over here in your garden of pain and get alone with the one voice that can help you go through with resurrection power. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying here, that I have to fellowship with his suffering. I have to partake not only of his divine nature, but I partake of his suffering. There is no knowing Christ without knowing pain and knowing suffering. Some of you are suffering from your own mistakes. Some of you today are suffering from your own choices. I know what that's like, but that's not what Paul's saying. He said we suffer in order to know him in order to be experientially on track with what God does in our life. Notice what he says. I'm coming to the end here. Here's what he says. To be conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's a tough little phrase. Paul could be talking about those resurrected bodies that we are going to receive one day. When we die, our body goes into the ground. Our spirit immediately goes to the Lord. I think Paul had that in his mind. I think Paul had that in his mind that that one day this corruptible body will be raised to new life and have an incorruptible body. Uh, the, The mortal body will have the immortal. So I think Paul was referring to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18 when Christ comes back and the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are left will be caught up in the air to meet to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we be with the Lord forever I think he probably had that in the back of his mind but that's not what he was talking about here here's what he was saying if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead here's what Paul was saying I want to be among the living where dead people are here's what he means people who live in the deadness of good works People who live in their flesh, I don't, I've already put a death to that. I want to be living among the dead. I want to attain. I want to pursue this relationship. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I want to reach out and pursue him on this journey of life, even though it has pain, that I might be a living person among people who are trying to get to God with works and a mentality of religious works. That's what Paul was saying. Think about that. When you share the gospel, do you tell people, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and then you can be saved? That's false teaching. You just come to Jesus. You just repent and bow to him. I'll close with this illustration. Suppose there's a king, and this king pardoned all the prostitutes that had a record. So this king says to all the prostitutes, you don't have to do any more time. Your record will be totally written off. All of you that have a record, all of you prostitutes that are selling yourself, you, you don't have to do that anymore. I pardon all of you. Now, if you were a prostitute, that would be good news because you would say, hey, I can have my record forgiven. There's, there's nothing I need to do except he, he said he did it. So I just received what he did. But would that be any motivation for you to change your lifestyle? Not at all. But let's take the illustration further. What if the king said to the prostitute, I want you, not only have I pardoned you, not only is your record clean, not only are you going scot-free, 
but I want you to marry me as the king, and I want you to become my bride. Now the prostitute has motivation for living because any prostitute that's a prostitute is going to realize I don't have to live in prostitution anymore. Not only have I been pardoned, not only have I been forgiven, but now the king wants to bring me into a relationship and move me from a prostitute. And guess what my new name will be? Queen. Do you think that's motivation not to go back to living as a prostitute? I think so. Think about this. What has God done with us? He's told us that in him is all life. He's told us that all of our sins can be forgiven. He has told us that if we will receive the free gift of salvation and we will trust him totally for his righteousness, not any good works that we bring, that he will bring us into a relationship and pardon us. Let us go free. But he doesn't just leave us there. He says what it's like is like a marriage proposal. What he says is coming to a relationship with Jesus is like a marriage proposal. It's like a marriage. You are coming into a relationship that identifies you with the king. So when I trust Christ as my Savior, it's not like a prostitute being forgiven, but it's moving from a position of being forgiven into a relationship of identity. And now because the king is in charge, but because the king approached me, because the king wants to have a love relationship with me, and I ask him to come into my life, the Lord Jesus, then I am now identified with him. And guess what? All the motivation I need to live the Christian life is in him. See, that's why churches put law on people. Go live this thing out. Do it. We have no motivation like that. Here's what I'm telling you. If you've been identified with the king in a love relationship and he wants you to come into a marriage relationship with him, it's like a marriage relationship. It's fusion, his life into your life. You don't bring anything to the table, he brings everything into the table. You respond to him by faith and he puts his life in you and you have all power and resurrection power because you were identified with him. Do you need motivation to live the Christian life? There it is. That's it. All you have to do is love him. All you have to do is honor him. All you have to do is receive all that he gives you in Jesus Christ. Have you done that today? Are you trying to achieve your own righteousness? I can tell you how I know. It's when you do something, are you making up ground or are you patting yourself on the back? Here's what I'm going to tell you. If your answer is not Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, you've missed it totally. A relationship with him it's not about making up ground, doing better. It's about bowing before him, receiving the free gift of salvation, and that's all the motivation that I need to share the gospel. I'm found in him. Are you found in him today? Is there a chance that some of you in this room are very religious? You go to church, you come, but there's really no life change in you. Your attitude's the same, your action is the same. If you go to school, you act the same way. Guess what? When Jesus Christ comes in, he changes your heart and he changes your motivation. And things that used to come out of you will now come out of you because he lives in you. And when you want to say something to the teacher, guess what? He wants to say something better to the teacher. At work, when your boss puts pressure on you and you think you just can't take it anymore, guess what? Ask Christ to release his beautiful life to your boss who you don't like and who you don't want to work for and watch God do a miracle and things will come out of you that you didn't even know could come out of you. You know why? Because you're yielded and identified and surrendered to him.